Hello, and welcome to Enroute, the podcast where we talk about life along the way. I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm your host. Make sure to visit our website, enroutepodcast.org, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via RSS, so that you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you've found value in listening to this show, I'd really appreciate it if you would uh, give a rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That really helps us. Or simply tell a friend about the show, because that will help us out too. So today's podcast is about local news. And I want to start out with a story in 1986 in my hometown of Flint, Michigan. I was a junior in high school, and I went to this special conference for African Americans who were interested in a career in communications. And I remember going to the offices of my hometown newspaper, the Flint Journal. Now, I had followed the the paper for years. I read it voraciously, and I was excited to be in the newsroom. And if you can... The newsroom of the 1980s was a place that was had a number of journalists. It was a busy place. If you went downstairs, uh, there was the printing press that was churning out the newspaper daily. Well, that was 35 years ago. Today, the Flint Journal is a much smaller paper. There are less reporters covering the news than they were in 86, and they don't publish a physical newspaper every day. Um, they publish it, I believe, three times a week. And of course, most of the other, the rest of the news is online. They're no longer in their grand building downtown. Um, and it, where you saw these big, they had big windows on the, uh, the ground floor to, so that people could look in and see the printing press. They've moved to much smaller offices downtown. Now, what happened to the Flint Journal in some ways is the changing nature of local news and newspapers in general. The newspapers of the 21st century are going and are in a bad spot. They're either folding or facing downsizing. There are many cases where papers have been bought out by private equity firms And those firms basically stripped them to the bone in order to eke out a profit. There is a hole, basically, in news, uh, the hole in local news. And that's really part and parcel of some of the changes going on in our culture as news becomes more national. And we focus on major issues emanating from Washington while we ignore the bread and butter issues that are happening in our midst. So into this vacuum, there have been a few brave writers that have stepped in to provide local news. And today we're talking to one of those people. Kevin Hendricks is the editor of the West St. Paul Reader, a news website that covers all the news happening in West St. Paul, which is a Twin Cities suburb of 20,000 located just south of St. Paul, Minnesota. I talked to him this past week about why he got started into covering the local news, and the importance of having people invest in those local stories, especially now in this post-truth age. So with that, here is Kevin Hendricks.
So Kevin, thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely, thanks for having me. So the first question I wanted to ask is what got you in, well, basically maybe explain a little bit about the West St. Paul Reader. What is it um, about? How long have you been um, a part of this? Uh, so we started in uh, May of 2019. So we're, we just hit our two year anniversary a uh, month or two ago. Uh, and it, it started because I, I kind of got interested in my local community and what was happening you know, right here where I live. Uh, West St. Paul is a first ring suburb of St. Paul. Uh, we're, we're right next to St. Paul, but we're, uh, we're also in a different county. Uh, we're in Dakota County instead of Ramsey County. Um, so it, you know, we're a, a five square mile suburb of about 20,000 people. Um, so while we're right next to, a, you know, the major metropolitan city and we're, we're a part of the major Twin Cities area, you know, we're within the, the 494 Beltway. Um, we also have this weird kind of small town vibe uh, that we're a town of 20,000 people and we're those weird five square miles with our own, you know, business uh, corridor of Robert Street. Uh, so it's kind of this interesting little community. Um, and I kind of got involved in, in some of the, the local politics here. Uh, we had a, a tunnel project. There was a, there's a big river to river greenway trail project uh, is kind of where a lot of it started. Um, and the idea was to have this greenway trail going through West St. Paul and it would connect up to trails along the Mississippi, uh, some trails along the Minnesota River. Um, we have incredible trails in the Twin Cities. And this was an opportunity to link up our city uh, to those trails. And one of the major obstacles was that Robert Street corridor I mentioned, which is our big four lane uh, commercial corridor that you really don't wanna bike across. You know, especially if you're going on a bike ride with your family, a recreational thing, you know, crossing four lanes or six lanes at the intersection of traffic is just not fun. So there was this concept of let's put in an underpass, uh, let's figure out a way to cross Robert Street and make this greenway and, and do the whole thing. And there was surprising pushback on that. Like that was not a, a slam dunk idea. Um, there was funding from the state, so we didn't even have to pay for it. And it still wasn't a slam dunk idea. There was lots of pushback uh, and lots of people who said, oh, we don't need that. You're wasting your money. You know, that land could be used for better things. You know, all kinds of arguments. Um, and we kind of thought, well, this is a no brainer. Let's do it and started pushing on it. Um, and that was back in 2017. Uh, and we kind of realized like, oh, this is not an easy push. <laughs> this is not an easy lift. Um, and so we had to do, so I kind of, a group of us was working on this and I kind of did a lot of writing about it, kind of doing the research of, okay, what is this project? What does it cost? You know, what are the different options? Why are people opposed to it? And kind of diving into all those arguments of, you know, will it be used? What is, you know, the county has studies on how many people are going to use it. Here's the numbers like, yeah, it's going to get used. You know, what does it cost? Well, there's, you know, breaking down all the different costs and who's going to pay for it. And well, we have all this money from the state and it's not going to cost the city, you know, and well, if you don't use the state money, it goes somewhere else and Apple Valley gets something really nice and we don't, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's not like it goes back in your pocket as a taxpayer. Uh, so, it, you know, kind of working through all those arguments uh, and slowly pushing that project forward and trying to advocate for it. Uh, they broke ground on it last year. Uh, this summer, they did the first half, the 
half of it last year and the other half this year and that it should be finished up uh, maybe by August or September. Uh, and we'll actually have this uh, this underpass, which will be part of the trail. And uh, there's some other pieces that are being finished, but it'll it's all kind of coming together, uh, which will be amazing. Um, but that whole process was kind of this deep dive into city council and local stuff and what was happening and and kind of the misinformation out there of, of people had this idea of, oh, this is crazy expensive and we can't afford it. And why would you waste the money on this? And then as you look into it, it was like, well, it's actually only this much money and we're not paying for it. There's federal funding, there's state funding, you know, there's all this funding that creates all these beautiful trails. You know, we don't have to have the, the city taxpayers um, on the hook for it. Uh, so it's kind of a great education into people need to know these local facts more. There needs to be some kind of source of, you know, what's this project over here? How are we paying for it? What's it cost? What's the benefit? Why do we want it? Um, and so I had kind of, that kind of started me back in 2017 on uh, local stuff. And from there, it kind of exploded. Um, we had, it was getting into local politics and city council races. Um, and this is a long story and I could go on and on. Uh, but we had a, there was a sexism controversy in 2018 with our first female mayor. Uh, that blew up and got national headlines. Uh, I was writing about that on, and a lot of this was on my personal blog. Um, where I was just writing about what's happening. Uh, I got very involved in the 2018 election, uh, door knocking for my city council candidate, uh, which is something I never thought I would do. Um, and, and from there, like I was attending city council meetings all the time. I was, I was involved in the minutia. Um, and it, the idea started to form of, of we need some local coverage of you know, writing about West St. Paul. Uh, and, uh, were there any um, kind of local news in West St. Paul? I know that there are a lot of kind of suburban newspapers and other suburbs throughout the Twin Cities. Yeah. Was there anything for West St. Paul? So we had we had the Lily News or, or South Southwest Review. It had various names depending on online or, or print. Uh, at the time we had that uh, and they came out like every other week, I think. So it was maybe a twice monthly uh, and they, they folded in, was it, it was late 2018 or 2019, uh, they stopped publishing. Uh, we still have The Voice, which is like a monthly newspaper and they kind of cover the West side and West St. Paul and the East side, kind of a lot of different areas, um, but they're only monthly. Um, and the city pages, uh, which you know they folded up, I think last fall, uh, they they obviously didn't cover everything, but when big stuff happened, they'd write about it. You know, the sexism controversy they covered. Um, they would cover kind of some other city council stuff from time to time. Um, and, you know, the Pioneer Press and the Star Tribune would occasionally do stuff. As big stories happen, they would usually get to it, but they certainly wouldn't cover your day-to-day, -day, you know, this, this Greenway, they maybe did, you know, a couple articles on it. Um, but that was after a lot of pushing. Um, so, you know, it just wasn't on their radar for, for small local stuff. Um, so yeah, there was definitely a vacuum, especially when the, the Lily News folded. Um, you know, they had a reporter who would come to city council meetings, you know, from time to time as she was able, and they would, they would cover city council meetings. Um, uh, 
but yeah, they 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 couldn't do a lot, <laughs> and and then they folded and were gone. So there was just not much at all. So unless your city was on fire, you know, the Twin Cities media wasn't going to cover us. I mean, which makes sense. We're only twenty thousand people, and in, in you know the one whatever one point two million or whatever are in the Twin Cities. Um, so yeah, there was definitely a vacuum, uh, and I kind of felt like. I could fill that vacuum. Uh, so I had this idea for the West St. Paul Reader and let's do local news. Let's talk about, certainly city council meetings were, were a thing I wanted to do, but also just interesting personalities in our city and what's happening and events and just all that kind of stuff was was kind of what I, what I wanted to cover. And how, I don't want to say successful is probably not the right word, but, but what has been the response since you've started? Um, has the community really kind of noticed and, and joined in? Yeah, it's been really encouraging. I started with a Kickstarter project, kind of kind of saying if I can get enough, you know, enough money to make this worth, you know, buying a website and building it and you know investing my time into, it, then I'll do it. Uh, and I had about um, sixty-five some people uh, back the Kickstarter campaign. Um, I forget exactly how much we raised. It was three or four thousand um, dollars. So I was able to to build the site, hire a designer to build to create a logo. Um, that's why I didn't have to do that because I'm not a designer. Um, you know, able to bring in a few people to help me with some of those things and not feel like I'm just you know spending my own money on that. Uh, and then from there, um, maybe six months later, I I started on Patreon, which is kind of a a membership you know, monthly membership thing, people pay, you know, three bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks a month to support you. Uh, it's often used for artists or creators or anybody doing this kind of community supported thing. Um, jumped on there and kind of had um, a couple advertising options for like $25 for local businesses. And then, you know, three, five bucks for just people who wanted to support local news. And that's been growing steadily. We're up to about 86 supporters on Patreon right now. Um, which is just, I'm very grateful for them. They, it, it gives me enough, enough income that I can continue to spend time on this and justify doing it. Um, I love doing it. So I spend way more time than I should. Um, but that's my problem. <laughs> I'm a freelance writer and, and that income basically makes this one of my steady clients. Um, you know, it's not a huge chunk of my income. It's maybe five or 10%. Um, but it's steady income that I can rely on every month that I can justify, you know, going to a three hour city council meeting and spending the time to write an article. Um, cause I know I'm getting some sort of, of payment and income out of it. Um, so yeah, the support has been really great. Um, there's been traffic has, has definitely been steadily rising. And as we have big stories or big controversies, it, it explodes. Uh, and it's, it's wild to see people talking about it. Um, I still have the moments where, where I come across people who don't know what's going on in town. And, and you know, I'm a, I was at a, a, a local restaurant last night with my wife and the table next to us started talking about some of the local issues. And it was everything I could do not to butt in and hand my business card and you should check out West St. Paul Reader. And I know, you know, be the dork who knows all the answers and... <laughs> So there are still those moments where people, you know, people, not everybody knows about it, certainly. Um, but yeah, it's definitely getting out there and, and so, so encouraged and thankful for the support. It seems like that if you look at this from a 
kind of a national viewpoint, there seems to be more and more of a growing gap when it comes to local news. Um, papers, I mean, well-known papers that would have had fairly large staff to cover local news, um, both in the kind of the big city and suburbs, don't have that anymore. Um, and I think you um, shared an example kind of, as we were talking before um, we started recording of um, the Pioneer Press here in St. Paul. What do you think is the effect of that, of, of larger papers, whether it's kind of the Star Tribune or um, Pioneer Press, but even some of the local um, chains that are that usually have provided local news are starting to disappear. Yeah, I think it's a major hit to, to kind of local engagement and, and knowing what's going on. Um, we're in this weird partisan space where everything is, is hyper divided um, and it's hard to know facts. You know, we've just gone through the pandemic where there are all these conspiracy theories. We just went through the January 6th insurrection and there's all these conspiracies around it. Um, having facts and knowing the truth of what's happening is, is something we struggle with as a society right now, which is kind of scary. Um, and not having that on a local level just kind of perpetuates the whole thing. It's almost like the bottom drops out because you don't know what's going on, you know, in your community down the street. So it's hard to have any sort of anchor. It's hard to have that foundation of, well, at least I know my community and I know what's going on here. You know, I know what the mayor's doing or I know what, you know, the happening at the park or the construction project or, you know, whatever's going on in your community. You know, it's not national news, but, you know, you'd like to know what's going on around, around town. Um, and I think losing that kind of just unmoors us maybe um, that we don't have that, that sense of what's going on and it kind of just fuels that conspiracy theory because you don't know what's going on and so there's all sorts of disinformation you know there's all sorts of at the restaurant the other night when I was hearing these people at the table uh, I kept hearing them throw out facts and figures and things that were completely incorrect you know they were talking about the construction on Robert Street and and why they were ripping out the median and what they were doing and they were upset about it and was like well actually that goes back to this trail project we're working on and that's why the median got ripped out because they're doing the trail project and as soon as it's done they'll put it back and that's why it happened that way and um <laughs> you know they were also talking about this uh our high school uh just went through a renaming process henry sibley high school is now going to be two rivers high school uh, which has been a big story in the past six months they're talking about that as well and they're throwing out some cost figures about what it's going to cost to do the name change uh and they were they had the wrong figures um you know there were you get into the nitty gritty, but I know all the details because I'm the nerd who covers this stuff, but I'm sitting there going, oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, you know. Um, so yeah, and I think part of that was because there's there just hasn't been, um, you know, the major coverage of that story that goes into those details. Um, and so yeah, they don't have the facts or they read it wrong or, or whatever. Um, and I think that just, yeah, that kind of cascades into all these other things of, of national importance uh, where we just lose trust and we lose, yeah, we just will lose that kind of um, 
knowledge of what's going on and, and um, I don't know what the word is, kind of that comfort of, not comfort, but kind of that, I don't know, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I think one of the things that was, as a kid growing up um, in Michigan, is um, obviously I remember as a kid, my parents and I, I myself uh, would read um, the Flint Journal, which is the, because um, I'm from Flint, is that that's what we read. But we also, I think, I remember my parents also got a subscription to the Detroit Free Press and they would read that. And I think there was a lot of, at least back in the day, people would take in that information from those local papers. Um, and that was a regular habit that I don't think we have anymore. Um, it seems like that's changed. And I don't know if that's because we've moved more online than um, we have to, we, we have in the past, but, but yeah, I think there, there was a sense of comfort in, in knowing what the issues were and probably that we don't have that now is makes yeah. that much more untethered. Yeah. I grew up in the Detroit area and we oh, read okay. the Detroit Free Press too. I remember coming home from school and reading the paper. Now, granted, I was a kid, so I read the comic section. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> but I even remember, at, you know, in middle school and even high school, they had like a, a pop culture news thing. And I remember reading that every day after school, um, just kind of being wanting to be plugged in and knowing what was happening. Um, and yeah, I remember even 20 years ago, I'd start my day, I'd read the online news, you know, whether the local paper or CNN or whatever to get some headlines. Um, and I've even probably moved away from that um, probably in the last decade. Um, and I don't know if that's social media or, or what has, that's probably what's replaced it for me, um, which is a weird thing to say as somebody who writes news that I get my news from social media. Um, but yeah, I think kind of those habits of, of the daily paper um, and I imagine some of it is is busy. I feel like the busyness just always ramps up and, and finding time to sit down and read a newspaper, whether it's in print or online, uh, we probably don't take that time anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think, why do you think it is, especially local papers don't cover as much local news as they used to. Um, this is going to sound cynical, um, but I wonder how much of it has to do with kind of the, the controversy and the stories that get eyeballs. Because um, your city council meeting does not get eyeballs. <laughs> Nobody cares. It's boring. Um, as, as I said earlier, it's there's the feast and famine of of some. Most of the time, it's boring. It's a three hour meeting about, you know, why what what kind of what kind of road overlay are we going to do on this section of the street? And yeah, nobody cares. Or it's the other extreme of people screaming at each other, um, you know, and the citizen comment that goes off the rails. Um, and one of those gets eyeballs and happens very rarely. And one of them doesn't get eyeballs, but it happens all the time. Um, so I think the, and I see that in my traffic, you know, most of my city council posts don't get a ton of traffic unless something happened at the meeting. 
you know, it's these stories about the renaming of the high school that get crazy, crazy, crazy traffic. Uh, but it's the story about, um, you know, my neighbor down the street put in a little free pantry this year, uh, this spring. And so I interviewed her about that story and how it was inspired by her mother who passed away recently. And just a really interesting story. Um, it does not get the traffic. And it kills me to see the traffic comparison of, you know, this amazing story about a thing in our community and this, you know, heartwarming thing and nobody reads it. But the renaming mess and fight, like tons and tons and tons and tons of traffic goes to that. Do you think part of that is just because of the national culture war issue? Everything is, well, everything it seems now is culture war as over and opposed to what used to be called human interest stories um, that we just don't a, have that interest or that that interest anymore in those things. I think that's a big piece of it. We really want the fight. We want to know like like those controversial stories are the ones that people want to know about. So it's interesting looking at my traffic because I have two stories that are huge every time. One is definitely the controversial story. It's this high school renaming story. So I've probably written five or six posts on it since they first did the vote till they you know, renamed it this week. Um, and every single one of them has had huge traffic. Um, you know, and I, I knew that going in. Um, we had a, a, a mural controversy this spring that got national attention. Uh, there was a Black Lives Matter mural. Uh, oh, yes, I remember that one. Mm -hmm. um, and according to city code, you can't have a mural on a residential fence. Uh, so that blew up and got national news, crazy traffic. A former mayor made a Blue Lives Matter mural in response to it. You know, the whole thing blew up, crazy, crazy traffic. Um, so I kind of, I know when those stories, most of the time, I know when those are going to take off, which ones are going to be hot button issues. Uh, the other story that is crazy huge is um, the new restaurant or construction project or thing coming into town. So we just got a world famous Momo uh, just opened on Robert Street. Uh, Momo is like a, uh, a dumpling kind of thing um, from somewhere in Asia. I'm, I'm forgetting the details. I've never had them before. Um, but a new restaurant in town, uh, you know, I do a, I do a three sentence post because there's no details of, you know, new restaurant opening soon. Here's the thing, whatever. Crazy traffic, you know, off the charts. Um, so those kind of stories, like the new, the Kmart that's getting torn down because it's been empty for four years, they're putting up apartment buildings. Um, that story I wrote two years ago, the construction's happening now. Um, so that that story has been popular for two years. Um, <laughs> you know, every, every time a new construction thing happens, those stories take off and they, you know, people are wanting to know what's happening. The Burger King got torn down, what's happening? Well, they're building a new Burger King. Crazy traffic because they tore the building down. Um, so those things, fights uh, and kind of the immediate, like, big change in my neighborhood, I guess you'd say, mm -hmm. are the stories people want to hear about. Um, and the really, it's too bad because the really interesting stories, the human interest stories, the, you know, the, the little free pantry down the street or the, I did another one on a seed library. Um, there's even a woman who wrote a who wrote a novel that was you know, reviewed by the New York Times. She lives down the street, um, not a ton of traffic, like just does not get the interest uh, compared to that, definitely the fight. I mean, those are the, are the big stories. Um, 
so yeah, I think that all that to say, I think there's this, we're kind of losing interest on what should be interesting and, and it's almost like we want to watch a fight all the time. Um, and I don't, that can't be new. I mean, I feel like people have always been like that, but it feels more, I don't know. I don't know if it's accentuated now or if it's exaggerated or something about it feels different. I know we've always been like that. That can't just be, people have always liked watching blood and gore and fights and drama and whatever. Um, but yeah, it definitely feels heightened in this time. Mm. So I'm kind of curious what you would think about things like um, Substack. Um, I know, you know, everyone knows that they seem to be the go-to place for a lot of more high profile writers and everything, but they seem to want to help um, local people. And there have been examples of people who have started um, and, and these are people who may either have a job at a, a local newspaper already or have left and are starting something that's focused on, on local news and they are actually giving out grants um, to these people to kind of help further along um, in some cases to hire a reporter, an extra reporter or something like that. Do you think efforts like Substack or some other, any other type of, of um, platform can be helpful in maybe reviving an interest in local news? So I have to admit, I know next to nothing about Substack. Um, so I haven't followed that very closely. Um, has there been controversy about that? I feel like I've heard negative stories about Substack, but again, I haven't dug into it. So I, as far as I know, I have not heard negative. That doesn't mean okay. that there hasn't been. Um, okay. Again, I haven't, I haven't dug deep. So I'm hesitant to say much about that one. I don't know much about it. Um, I feel like there's always been lots of efforts to do that kind of I don't know if it's a national approach to local news, but kind of that, you know, the big nationwide company that wants to do local local stories. I think Patch is maybe a site that that tries to do that. Um, and it, and it it seems like it tries to use technology to, to I don't know to to make that work to kind of make the scale um, work. And it it never seems to <laughs> like, I feel like those, those kind of places always seem to miss the mark somehow. Um, Do you think it's because they put too much effort on the technology and not enough on the human factor? I'm not sure what it is. I don't know. Um, Cause I'm a big fan of technology and the, you know, the way the internet can bring things together and, and allow us to, to do all this stuff. Um, I mean, I, I, you know this, I wrote for uh, Church Marketing Sucks for 15 years, ran that site, uh, and it was all about bringing church communicators together and helping churches, um, you know, do their marketing and communicate better. Uh, and there was just this incredible thing with technology where we could bring all these people together who, who were totally disconnected and thought they were alone um, and kind of help them find resources and help them learn and, um, you know, even connect locally. You know, we used to have a group that met here in the Twin Cities. Um, so there's, there's a lot of power to that connection that the internet brings. Um, and I, I don't know what's missing when it comes to local news. If it's, um, 
I mean, a lot of those efforts have often felt like they're, I don't know, like you're, you're parachuting in and you've got somebody who doesn't know the local area trying to write about it. Uh, if that's the disconnect where they haven't found that truly local boots on the ground um, component of it, um, or if it's not having the, the quality of maybe they have somebody on the ground, but the quality isn't there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they found somebody, but the person's not a writer. They're, you know, they don't have any journalism chops to, to dig into stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't know quite what, what's missing there. It's, I feel like local news is a hard nut to crack. I mean, it's not, it's not a way to get rich. <laughs> I'm certainly not, you know, retiring on West St. Paul Reader uh, by any means. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a weird, a weird space to try and figure out how to make it, um, make money and make it sustainable. And I don't even, I mean, I'm not out to make money. I'm out to, if I can pay for my hours and, you know, not go broke doing it, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a weird, a weird model. I mean, I mean, NPR is an in interesting model where I think, mm -hmm. you know, M NPR here in, in the Twin Cities is successful uh, and seems to make that um, listener support work. And they seem to do a pretty good job at local news um, as far as the Twin Cities, you know, they cover the whole Twin Cities. So again, they're not doing small suburban news. Um, but yeah, trying to figure out how to make that local news model work is, I don't know if anybody has fully, fully cracked it. Has anyone um, ever contacted you about asking about how maybe, maybe that they have expressed interest in doing something of their own locally and maybe have they ever contacted you for advice or on how to get started? Uh, not a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of specific examples and I'm coming up blank. Um, I was going to say, I feel like even what I'm doing isn't very, um, it's not something you could replicate very easily, I don't think, because um, I'm a freelance writer. So I have the flexibility to kind of do city council meetings and write stories during the day and, you know, do what I need to do to cover it where, you know, if you had a nine to five job, you're certainly not doing that. And you're certainly not going to quit your nine to five job to start a, you know, a local news site about a town of 20,000 people. Uh, that's not happening. Um, so yeah, it's a hard space to get into. And I feel like you need, you definitely need the right person who's interested in that, that kind of local, you know, hyper local angle. Um, in some ways, I think that's kind of rare. We're weirdos, I think. <laughs> well, there is nothing wrong with I think we the world needs weirdos. So at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> like that. That's good. Well, what do you think is the future for local news? Um, what's what do you think is the future for the reader? But where do you think we're going as a society when it comes to local news? Do you think that we're just kind of going to stay in this kind of nationalized way of doing things or will we have some sort of a balance again? I don't know. I <laughs> predicting the future is not something I'm good at. Uh, and I don't know where it's going to go. I, the cynical side of me thinks, I don't know how we get out of this kind of partisan spiral um, you know, I had hopes that that after the, the 2020 election, things would get better. Um, 
somewhat naively, I knew at the time, because we've been through so much upheaval, uh, I knew it wouldn't just fix automatically. Um, but yeah, that kind of got uglier than I thought it would with, you know, the all the denial of, of the election results and then leading up to the January 6th um, kind of insurrection. I, I didn't see that coming and that was kind of jaw dropping um, and, and doesn't give me a lot of hope. If anything, just makes me more cynical that we're, things are gonna be messed up for a while. We're not, I don't think we're gonna figure this out and, and get back to normal, whatever normal is. Um, So yeah, I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how or what we're going to do. The you hear all kinds of stories all the time about local newspapers, and I'm talking major, you know, the Free Press, the Pioneer Press, the Star Tribune, you know, getting gobbled up by these multinational conglomerates or whatever, uh, and and they're cutting the staff to the bone, and they're, um, you know, trying to squeeze every dime out of the paper, uh, which is usually never good for local coverage. Um, so I don't, I don't see that trend going away. Um, I've heard, um, you know, I've seen various conversations about, about what should be done to change that, that, that local news is a common good and therefore, you know, the government should invest in it in some way. Um, I've heard conversations about how that can happen in a way that's not government run news because that's not a solution. Um, but how they could invest in that, um, you know, you see, um, you know, like public television, there's some government investment in that. So is there a way to, to fund local news kind of as a common good? Um, I think that's an interesting conversation. I don't know where it goes. Um, I think efforts like NPR and what I do where it's, it's community supported. Um, I feel like that's a model that seems to work can work. Um, it certainly takes a lot of time and a lot of, um, you know, I've been doing this two years uh, to get to 85 supporters. So that, I mean, 85 supporters is, in some ways doesn't seem like that many from where I started. It's huge. Um, so it definitely took time to get there. Um, but I feel like that community model um, has some benefits. Um, but yeah, where we go from here, yeah, I don't know. I feel like for, in terms of West St. Paul Reader, I feel like um, I feel like we have a good future and we have good growth and, and we're kind of making a, a place for ourselves where people are starting to know about us and turn to us for what's happening. Uh, and that's really positive. I can see that kind of going forward in the future and having that steady support and kind of being able to provide that local news. Um, so yeah, I, feel, <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. I'm kind of rambling a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel a mix of hope that what I'm doing is, is at least working and supporting itself. Um, but also I have a lot of cynicism about where we go as a larger society, um, especially nationally. What stories are you working on right now that are of interest that you think will be of interest to your community? Yeah, so I've got, I've always got stuff in the hopper. Um, it's interesting because it kind of goes back to, to, to what I was talking about earlier of what stories always get the clicks and what, what don't. Um, most of what I'm working on are the stories that don't because <laughs> the stories that get all the clicks kind of come at you by surprise. 
uh, or you, you know you don't realize they're coming. Um, so yeah, some of those um, some of those stories I'm working on. I'm I've I mentioned a, a seed library and a, a little free pantry that I I did stories on, and I have another story about just little free libraries in general with the books. Um, I've interviewed several neighbors um, and kind of have have kind of an interesting piece, I think, interesting about how little free libraries work and and you know what people like about them and why people run them. Um, I've got that coming up. Um, there's a local woman who uh, who does quilting and she has a, a quilt in a national museum. They're doing a big um, I don't know, retrospective display on modern quilting and she has a quilt in that display. So I'm doing a story on her kind of uh, the quilting, uh, which is I find fascinating. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm working on a story today um, uh, about a, a local high school student who just graduated and um, I think her softball coaches and some other people, I'm still getting the details. Um, and they're putting together kind of a Latino sports, trying to recruit uh, Latino girls into sports, uh, kind of this get them started young because they don't have, uh, in a lot of ways, they don't have some of the opportunities. And so they're trying to, to help fix that. Um, our area has a heavy Latino population. Um, and so it's called, um, I'm probably mispronouncing it, uh, Ella Avananza. Um, I, think, I think it means she advances. Um, but they're doing they're doing a, um, like a free softball clinic this week, where they're given they're giving the kids all the gear, um, you know. So if you don't have bats and gloves and shoes and whatever stuff you need, uh, and then teaching them the ropes and kind of kind of getting them into into the basics of softball. Um, so that's kind of a fun story. That was actually one I didn't quite see coming. Um, I just heard about it uh, actually last night and was you know want to jump on it quickly because it's kind of a cool story of. You know, people, people seeing a need and wanting to to fill it and coming together. And there was like a, a softball gear drive at one of the the high school softball games, I think. And um, so it's kind of a cool community thing that's happening there. Um, so yeah, so that's a few of the stories I have kind of in the works. And hearing all of that, I mean, there are all all fascinating stories. And. It sounds also like what you were saying earlier, they're probably not going to be the ones to get a huge amount of clicks, but why do you think that they matter? What makes them important? I think they're the stories, they're the real stories of our community, of what's happening. I mean, yeah, the new restaurant is is great and it'll be fun to have a new, I've never had Momo before, I should try that, that's cool, that's fun. Um, but it, it's it's a restaurant, it's not I mean, it's not life-changing to me, um, but these stories of, of what individual people are doing are, that is our community, that's our people. Um, I mean, the softball clinic might be life-changing for some of these girls, um, you know, getting them engaged in a sport uh, and getting, you know, all the, all the benefits team sports can have um, and, and getting them involved and introduced in that. In, and that's something they might not have otherwise gotten. They might have ha not have had the chance to do that. Um, whether it was just not knowing the skills and not knowing how to do it or, or not having the money for the equipment. Um, so somebody doing that and, and a high school student doing it, uh, leading the charge on that is just an inspiring story of our community, you know, coming together and, I mean, talk about hope and uh, hope for the future and where things are going. That's awesome. Um, 
yeah, I'm a big fan of books and reading. Uh, so little free libraries are just cool. And, you know, the idea that these people have this love for books and want to share that with their neighbors, you know, literal neighbors of the people on the street, you know, walking down the sidewalk. Um, again, that's incredibly hopeful. Um, you know, sometimes it feels like we don't know our neighbors and we don't know the people around us. And it, I love getting to know my neighbors. I love, you know, knowing what's, you know, what's going on and, and how I can help and, you know, being there for them. Um, and that only happens when we know each other and we know what's going on and what they need. Um, so you got to have those connections. Um, so I think all these stories kind of help build those connections and, and give that sense of, of hope and, and kind of how we can contribute and, and be a part of this community. Um, so yeah, that's why I think they matter. Um, one of the beautiful things about having community support is it, it doesn't matter if my stories get the clicks or not, mm -hmm. um, which, which I love, because then I can do these stories and I don't have to worry about, oh, the story about the little free pantry isn't getting the, the traffic. Well, so what? That's not what pays my bills. Um, and that's beautiful. I love that. Um, maybe that's a way local news needs to get better is that we need to not get paid based on the advertising. Um, but, you know, kind of that change in the funding model. Yeah, it really all comes down to the funding model. Um, <laughs> and that's been really, I think, the question that um, at least, um, well, journalism as a whole has been trying to answer for the last 20 years. Um, yeah. I don't know if we're any closer to getting- And that's a hard thing to, to deal with because if you can get piles and piles of money for those, you know, major stories that everybody fights about, like, why would you turn that down? Like, <laughs> you know, we're, they're just incentivized to keep doing it. Um, it totally makes sense. Um, so yeah, I think that difference, that difference definitely helps me because then I can kind of unplug and be like, I'm a kind of guy who wants to look at the traffic all the time and ooh, how am I doing and where's it going and and which is not healthy for me. So it's good to be able to unplug and, and be like, no, that doesn't matter. I don't get paid based on the clicks. I don't need to go, you know, flog the story on Facebook so I get more clicks. Like, no, that doesn't, I don't get paid more for that. So don't, don't waste my time on that. Um, yeah, but it helps me to focus on the stories that do matter and what can build up our community and, and kind of build on that hope and um, yeah, make things better for the future. So if someone um, out there is, maybe has heard this and is interested in doing something like what you're doing, what tips would you give them? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I think a big thing you need to have is kind of curiosity. You got to have kind of a drive and a curiosity to know what's going on and to find out the stories and, and to figure out what happens. I mean, a lot of the stories I do are, are kind of answering questions of, of people talking about, okay, you have this trail and you want to do an underpass. Why does that make sense? Why should we do that? And I've, I have a curious nature and I, I kind of dig into like, well, okay, why is that a good thing? You know, I like to ride my bike, so it's great for me, but why is that good for everybody else? Um, you know, why are sidewalks beneficial? Um, you know, West St. Paul did a, a huge reconstruction of Robert Street five years ago that was very controversial where they, they put in a median. Um, so why are medians a good thing? Um, so for me, diving into the traffic data, <laughs> 
which sounds really boring, uh, but tells you about the safety of medians and how they reduce, uh, re you know, reduce the accidents, um, you know, make them less, uh, less severe, which saves lives. Um, so kind of digging into having the curiosity to dig into those kind of details, I think is incredibly important. Because um, otherwise, you won't, you won't stick to it, you won't, you know, you might get bored with it, or you got to have that drive to keep going. Um, so I think that's a major part of it. Um, yeah, so maybe start there um, and and start talking to people. I've I've talked to a lot of a lot of the people at City Hall who who do the work are uh, I bug them all the time, <laughs> asking questions and and trying to find stuff out. So you got to kind of get to know people and um, and kind of form those relationships uh, where you can hear about the stories and. Um, I mean, all these stories I've done with the, um, the softball clinic and the little free library and the, the quilting, um, those all came about from relationships, talking to people of, you know, I know somebody who lives next door to this um, Doctor Who little free library. So I wanted to hear the story about their, their TARDIS library, uh, which was cool, but only happened because I knew the guy who lived next door and I, you know, drove by it one day or the... Um, you know, the, the softball clinic, they reached out to me because I'd, I'd been supporting some other stuff that happened in town. And so they knew about me. And so anyway, those kind of relationships are, are so important. Um, yeah, so maybe that's, that's where to start. I could, I'd have a lot of advice. So I guess I'd say reach out to me and I'd be happy to, to, to share what I can. One quick question before we kind of wrap things up is that I, I know you also have another project um, where you wrote a book on politics and I believe it would the better politics please yes um politics, please and I think it seems like it's something that is sorely needed now um in that it's trying to find ways of people reaching out to one another um yeah can you tell me a little bit about the book and and how has it has it um people has it been successful and people been reading it and um yeah, so the whole premise of the book um, was we're in this hyper-partisan age. Oh my gosh, can it be better? Can't we get along? Uh, so I, I set out to look at different politics from local to the federal level uh, and find something to celebrate in them, whether I agree with them or not. Uh, so I looked at both sides of the aisle. Uh, I, I tried to find all kinds of people. I, I looked at people I don't like and disagree with, and I tried to find, okay, what is it about this person that I can, I can celebrate? You know, I don't like their politics. I hate how they handle it, but what can I find? <laughs> uh, so I, I found 35 people uh, from across the country. Um, not all of them are, are great examples of bipartisanship. Um, you know, so it's not, it's not about that. Uh, sometimes it, it's about, um, again, finding that one thing to celebrate even when you disagree, uh, which can be hard. Um, and some of them are good examples of bipartisanship. Um, so, so kind of all over the spectrum. Um, uh, you know, for, for example, I, I, I profiled Dan Crenshaw, uh, the congressman from Texas. He's very controversial. Uh, I, I completely disagree with him. He drives me nuts. Uh, but he had some great things to say. Uh, he went on Saturday Night Live. Uh, they made a joke about his eye patch. He lost his eye in Afghanistan. Uh, they made a bad joke about his eye patch. So they brought him on the next week and apologized. And he kind of had a great thing there talking about, you know, we disagree, but we need to, you know, find a way to get along. Um, and, 
you know, so he had his moments there, um, which I could, I could appreciate. Uh, so, so it's a story like that, that I kind of dive into about, about who is this guy. And he, he sometimes grates people the wrong way, but you kind of got to dive in sometimes and, and get past some of that. Um, and some of it was local people. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some examples like there, you know, there was a mayor in, in Tucson, um, you know, she's worked on, on planting trees and, and kind of helping with some of that climate stuff. And uh, I think they had a big, um, I think it was a sanctuary city push uh, and she's Latina and, and she was actually against it and kind of had this, you wouldn't expect her to be against it. Um, she kind of felt like, like the state politics, I think were really, uh, really divisive. And she didn't, she thought this would, would further that divide. And, you know, the state would like override them and just cause more controversy. And so she didn't want to have that. So just those kind of things where you don't expect it to go that way. Um, and they kind of uh, flip your expectations. Um, so that's kind of the premise of the book. Uh, I wrote it last year uh, uh, during the kind of in the middle of the pandemic, uh, in the middle of the election, which was a weird time to write a book like that. I tried not to touch the, the presidential election at all, uh, just because that's so, <laughs> so Sounds <heated>. smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and definitely looking at local politics. There's some city council members in there. There's some mayors, uh, state representatives, uh, as well as senators. Uh, and Congress people, um, but kind of giving that broad, broad swath of politics and how we can, um, you know, figure out how to how to come together and not be so divisive. Mm -hmm. So, if someone um, wants to check out the um, West St. Paul Reader, where should they go? WestStPaulReader.com is our our website. Um, yeah, all the details are on there. Uh, you can contact me through that. There's a contact page. Um, and yeah, you can reach out to me through that. Uh, the book, uh, betterpoliticsplease.com, uh, will take you to the landing page for that. Uh, and that book is available on Amazon and uh, or through me or, or whatever works. Okay. Well, Kevin, thank you. This was has been a really great interview and I think uh, an important issue to talk about. So it was really good to have this chance to, to converse on it. Absolutely. Thanks for letting me talk a lot. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate, um, yeah, just having me on here and the, the ability to talk about uh, some of these projects I've done. Um, I'm, very, I'm very grateful for the people who make these projects happen. Um, both the book and the West St. Paul Reader were Kickstarter projects uh, where people, you know, stepped up to support. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. It's always... It's always great to have people support the work you do, and I couldn't do it without them. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot. Kevin for being my guest today. I want to add one thing here about local news. There are a lot of hyper local news outlets out there 
that I would strongly suggest that you check out and support, and you may even find one in your own hometown. One such example is Flint Beat, and this is a digital news outlet that is in my hometown of Flint, Michigan. Uh, Flint native Jaquanda Johnson started Flint Beat in 2017, and it recently won a uh, local Emmy uh, for its reporting. There is an article in the show notes about Jaquanda and how she started Flint Beat. Please give it a read. And also, as I said, be on the lookout for hyperlocal news in your area. Find it, maybe consider reading from it, and consider supporting it. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. There are, as I've said before, a lot of podcasts out there, and I am very thankful for your support. Again, make sure to visit our website, enroupodcast.org, where you can sign up to be on the mailing list of the newsletter, listen to past episodes, and actually read some past articles that I've written. You can also go to the website to make a donation to support this podcast. And again, don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you listen to. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a rating or a written review on Apple Podcasts. That's it for this episode of Enroute, Notes on Religion, Politics, and Culture. I'm Dennis Sanders. Take care and Godspeed.